Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. What if you had an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with someone who had attended the January 6th March to Save America protest that took place in Washington, D.C.? What would you ask? What would you want to know? Today I do just that. I sit down with my good friend Scott Tedrick and we talk about his experience at the rally and what his concerns are for America and the future forward. And so before you get your panties in a twist and wonder or worry whether or not I'm giving a hateful, racist, bigot a platform, I'm not. I know Scott. I know Scott's heart. I don't know if you follow any of what I write for Patheos Progressive Christian, but I have been trying to help people see that there is another side of this. There's a different side other than what the media is portraying. There's another side to this that even our elected officials, Pelosi, McConnell and the like, whatever they've been saying, there was another there was another perspective that we hadn't considered and that I hadn't considered. Now, I've said this before. I wrote about this. I was utterly shocked to find out that my friend was going to the rally. I think over the summer he had attended a rally in South Dakota. Uh, It was a Trump rally. And I remember I got my panties all up in a twist. And I was like, who are you? And what are you supporting? And are you a Trump supporter? And da, 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 da. And so what was interesting is he was willing to talk to me. He was willing to hear what my concerns were about, you know, the different ideological programs that, that are being perpetuated out there. And honestly, I thought, well, I'm a good friend. I convinced him not to follow that crap anymore. And then after Christmas, he informed me that he was planning on attending this rally. He actually invited me to to join along with him. And I was in disbelief because I thought I had learned a little bit more about him, that I had influenced a little bit of my ideas on him. And then to find out, wow, hey, wait, you didn't listen to me. You're not doing what I told you to do. You're not believing the way that I'm believing. And you're not holding true to the values that I thought that you did. I'll be the first to admit that I had apprehensive and negative feelings about the type of person that would be going to this rally. And what Scott helped reveal and what many other people have been trying to help reveal is that it wasn't just about Trump. And it wasn't just about um an assumed election fraud. It was more than that. It's bigger than that. And sometimes we don't want to pay attention to how big the picture really is because we're only given a really small square of the image to see in the first place. And what we depend on with other people, this is why I believe listening to the stories of others is so important, is that they help provide more pieces to that wider picture so that we could just better understand what we're seeing. And as a firsthand account, I think that's really important. And so he was there. He saw what took place. Um, He was within the atmosphere and the emotion of it all. 
And so I was just, I'm just really appreciative that he was willing to sit down with someone who disagrees with him on so many things and still find out that, you know, underneath it all, we, we have shared values. And listeners, as I ask you before every episode, will you please compassionately consider the perspective of Scott Tedrick? Enjoy the episode. So if you can tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Scott Tedrick, and I uh, am the editor of the Renville County Register out of Olivia. And recently, you took a little trip east. Yeah. And so you headed over to D.C. on <coughs> January 6th for the... For the March to Save America and the Stop to Steal rally, I, I think were the names that were being applied to it. And so you were met with Confederate flags, Nazis, terrorists, racists, right? Uh, of course, I, I barely made it out alive. Uh, <laughs> I just was 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 glad that the the hue of my skin wasn't any darker than it is. Um, no, no, I uh, I experienced none of those things while I was there. Um, I did see uh, a couple of Confederate flags, uh, but not more than than literally a couple, you know, something like two or three, I would say. And you talked to a lot of people while you were there? Uh, quite a few people. Um, and uh, a couple people real real in-depth, and, and some of these other folk, uh, I certainly got a, a strong sense of, of the vibe that was going on. And what kind of vibe was that? What were people there for? Uh, I, I really... Uh, was amazed by uh, how joyous the the vibe was. Um, there was uh, I had a re- response in the paper this week where uh, somebody talked about it sounding like Disney World or, or like a religious vo- revival, and I would say that that description is accurate of the the tone. Uh, it, it really did have that that level of, of jubilance to it. And uh, and it was an, uh, of an authentic nature. Um, people were there, and uh, I think they were certainly fired up about what, what's going on. Uh, they feel that the election was stolen from them, and <clears throat> um, and they wanted to be there uh, for the the leader that uh, they feel like has has been there for him, and. Um, and so, yeah, so those, those people were, were proud to be in attendance. Uh, they were there for a, a reason that they felt was extremely valid, and, and they wanted to show that support, and they wanted to do it in a way that um, uh, I think was, was of the highest representation of, of what, um, of, of how they wanted to be perceived. Um, they wanted people to see how much they cared and uh, how much they cared about the country and um, instead what what people were presented with uh, was something that was very much the the inverse based on the coverage that followed yeah so they were calling it an insurrection 
people I saw were taking to social media talking about how these people were terrorists. They were going to do nothing other than destroy property. Uh, there were there were rumors of an organized coup that was supposed to be attempted. Um, what 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 did you observe? Were you there around the Capitol during the time where the Antifa members started storming the Capitol, started climbing the wall, started breaking into all the different rooms? Were you were you able to observe any of that from so, a distance? So my uh, accounts of that were were secondary. Um, so I got to talk to the people who were there and, and get their, uh, perception and, uh, but, uh, I, I, uh, was not, uh, a part of that, uh, kind of that extreme chaos and, and wasn't in the heart of it. I, I got to that party late just as a matter of happenstance, uh, was actually walking towards it when, um, I ran into some people who were coming the other way. Uh, asked uh, if I was heading the right direction and they said uh, they were leaving that there had been a, a shot that had been fired and uh, so at that point I, I, I rushed that direction and um, and got uh, just at a point of where I, I, I could observe from from really the back. Is that when the woman was shot inside the Capitol? Uh, yeah yeah and the way that it was said to me at that time was uh, somebody had gotten in and, and opened fire in the, the capital and um, and so I got I was under the impression it was you know gun rights folk or something like that that were being idiots um, so I know I didn't realize somebody had been been killed at that point and I, and I wasn't aware of the circumstances with it with it either did um, you see a lot of people carrying weapons with them there did you notice anyone no, uh, I didn't. Um, there's certainly a lot of people wearing kind of military fatigue type stuff. You know, certainly uh, tons of, of uh, just military interest and, mm. and So what passion. convicted you to go? What was your inspiration and motivation to go? I, I woke up um, the day after Christmas... And I knew that I I just had to be there. I, I just it just was a feeling, and um, I, I've certainly uh, been a, been observing uh, everything that's that's been transpiring. Um, I, I myself don't uh, subscribe to it or, or, or uh, put myself in a particular uh, political camp, but uh, but I do take note of what's going on, and, and I'm invested in the process. And uh, when you have the sort of divide that's being presented and the, the sort of two extreme realities that, that are kind of articulated from these, these two sides uh, to, to, to really try and get a sense of everything that, that was going on, it felt like I should be there. So yeah, I mean, one way or the other, we're at this, this crossroads in our history as a country. And... Um, in my, I don't know, as I've matured, I, I've really grown to, to care about our country and its tra trajectory. And, and uh, yeah, and we're, we're talking about the foundational components of it right now that are being attacked or being transformed. Reset, build back better. Revolution. These ideas are coming about from the media. <clears throat> yep, and it's, it's, you know, whether you're... Yeah, we're we're seeing at all levels that that, that this is a special 
time, it seems like. Well, so what are your feelings overall on protests and rallies and demonstrations like this? Do you think it, it affects change? Do you think it will influence maybe elected politicians to be more considerate of following through with promises that they make to their constituents during their campaigns? Do you think that these messages are just falling on deaf ears and politicians will continue to do whatever they want? Do you think January 6th, that rally, had any kind of an influence for people to kind of wake up and start paying attention to the citizens, or was it brushed under the rug? Uh, I think that it depends on your your point of view. I do think that, that it's important for people to be able to, to communicate in healthy ways, and um, I think it's uh, important that our leaders have the opportunity to, to listen. And uh, so part and parcel with all of that is, is having a clear lines of communication. And if, if people aren't able to gather together, um, people aren't able to, to share a, a, the same space and, and talk about issues they'd like to uh, online, if, if our media distorts the message that they try and convey, uh, in a way that does a disservice to the authenticity of the message. I, I think that that is uh, a red flag, and it, it's uh, a testament to, to that that's not happening. And and it's interesting to to see that happening, and that being cheered on uh, by some people for for varying reasons. In the context of say the January sixth rally, where it seems like the media representation of what happened there was disingenuous mm -hmm. from the number of people they reported to be at the rally um, to the the way that they projected it as being a violent insurrection for totally baseless and uh, inconsequential reasons. I, I don't think treats those individuals with the respect that's, that's fair to who they are and uh, uh, what they feel and what they're trying to express. And so, yeah, and so when you paint that violent, you can certainly present a rational situation to justify that censorship, but that doesn't make it right. Yeah. So in comparison, now we live in Minnesota, <clears throat> and so over the summer, we were faced with the George Floyd riots and protests. Yeah. We watched Minneapolis, um, Hennepin and Lake Street become utterly destroyed. They ended up looking like war zones. When you look at the scenes of what we saw take place here in our own state versus what was going on at the January 6th rally, there was nothing very similar to that at all, was it? No. Except there was someone that allegedly tried to start a fire at the Capitol. With a, oh, I, I, I don't know. Well, what I, what I think was, was interesting, and I don't, um, it, it's harder to get this, this video. So when it was first published by, uh, I forget the, the guy's name, he was, he was all over the the news. Jason X or something like that was the guy who was, was in there recording and filmed um, this, uh, apparently a Capitol policeman, on the other side of this, this glass wall. And, and the uh, woman, I uh, apologize to her, I, don't, I can't think of her name. If you can find this video, I, I, I really encourage you to see it. I don't know if it's been purged at this point. It was available for a while. The places where uh, I was able to access it. Um, the video of the woman being shot, someone had recorded it. 
Yeah, and the places that I had tried to access it again before, I, I wasn't able to do so. I didn't do a big search after that, so I don't know how hard it would be to, to find. But the the story that I, I had heard, by the way, was that this woman had thrown a chair through some sort of glass something or whatever, and, and, and at this point she was shot, you know, trying to get into the area where I think some of the offices are or whatnot. And anyway, if you see, you see this video, you have this officer, this this pane of glass, this woman on the other side. They're not five feet from each other. And the man is, is pointing the gun at her point blank. And she is trying to, to lift her, herself over this uh, kind of barrier or, or, or doorway to get on the other side. And she's, she's lifting herself up. She has no weapons. And, and she's literally defenseless because she's her hands are are pulling herself up so she's totally exposed her chest it's out and i hear no warning no no nothing and it's a a point blank direct murder i I, and it was absolutely awful to to watch the george floyd situation Uh, but but i mean in in terms of 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 circumstances where you want to say is there some people want to call the the floyd situation pure murder other people want to talk about there being more circumstances in there there seemed to me to be uh, more points that would warrant discussion with regard to whether or not that was police brutality uh, than what happened at the Capitol, which was one of the most egregious things I've ever seen. With um, how many witnesses and, I, and it, no protest or no, and, no it, and it's afterward. not spoken of. Um, so if if police brutality is the true issue, th- then why is it not the same in all circumstances? I ask the same question now. FBI statistics have shown repeatedly year after year that in fact police kill white citizens at a higher rate than black citizens and it seems to be that we only hear about certain instances in where the police do kill citizens based on their skin color and i often i I mean i remember hearing about that and i'm like that was a woman i have been told that women are also a protected class we were an oppressed class and i think well there was no outrage or outcry about that and she's a veteran and a veteran on top. See, I didn't even know that. And, and that's so and, 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 and theoretically, that's against our military. That's our house. You know, how is she breaking into her own house? Yeah, right? it is our house. Right now, here's what's interesting: all of these people that gathered there. Now, I'm not condoning the destruction, that behavior of an, any kind of violence or with an aim or attempt to destroy property. But I, th- I was really amused. I wrote about your experience to kind of talk to a wider audience in my Patheos blog and I had a lot of commentary from people saying if I knew your friend's name I would report him to the FBI for terrorism Mm -hmm. and I thought is that where we're at right now we have somehow changed the messaging to believe that protesting is anti-American only if it is in support of those we don't agree with and therefore, we need to call them all terrorists. We need to ban them from flight travel ever again. We need to lock them up and throw them away because they were doing what they were constitutionally protected to do, right? Like, that's, I thought, what the, the First Amendment protected us. It seems like there is a large voicing of concern that anybody that was there needs to be labeled as a terrorist. And that is a shocking revelation to hear from a party that I thought was about human rights and social rights and the right to protest and the right to organize and air grievances. And now we're seeing that there's this overreaching narrative and I see it everywhere that protesting is now suddenly bad. 
we don't want to do it. There's too many concerns for COVID all over again. But again, we go back to July and August. Nobody was concerned about that when Minneapolis was being overrun by protesters from all over the country and destroying what used to be my neighborhood. Yeah. What used to be the place where I used to walk around feeling safe and comfortable and playing with my friends. And it also seems like within even our community, there has been a lot of um, divisive discussions about whether or not what you did or what the people that went to there did was at all a benefit to our country or to our community. So what do you say about all of that? I think they're all fine questions. And the only way that we're going to have useful answers to, to any of that is to have a consistent lens of truth that we uh, discern things through. And when we have a truce that that shifts depending on the self-interested outcome that we want to see, we're no longer operating on authentic truth. And that's a dangerous place to be. Once you get there, uh, if you become reliant on that false reality, uh, you will work to hold it up. And you may not even realize it. And so I think it is important to question, where are we not being fully truthful with ourselves as individuals and as a community, as a country, and really be honest about it? Now, a lot of people would say that those in attendance at the rally that day are not being truthful with themselves about accepting the reality of the election outcome. And that many people there were, you know, basically clamoring that the election was stolen from Trump that that wasn't the outcome that the country wanted. And so the media is portraying these people as delusional, as following, you know, their own false truths for their own, you know, self-righteous gains. So how do you combat questions like that that say, well, you don't know the truth. You're the one that's believing the false lies. Well, it seems to me like the media has been turning up that, that volume on that message. Definitely. And really beating you over the head with it. And that was the message that they were beating people over the head with before the rally even happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seemed to be the situation that was being invited in a number of different ways to uh, you know, help, help create that, that self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were really setting the stage before it even took place, letting you know what was going to happen before it even happened. Being there, had I not been that would have been the, the message that, that I would have relied on for that, that lens of truth. Mm-hmm. The way things were reported and what was reported, what wasn't reported, was such a, a, a dissension from what, what seemed to me to be uh, an, objective, an objective accounting of that situation. I don't uh, put a lot of stock in, in that message. Because I'm pretty comfortable about my own discernment with respect to this. I don't have... Especially that proximal discernment where you were literally there observing it for yourself. Wherein most of us just have to rely on whatever's being streamed to us. And that, that, that hits on a point that a lot of us are not utilizing when we're going through our critical thinking process. Is if we haven't seen it for ourselves. That used to be the mantra. I'll believe it when I see it. And now it's, we don't need to see it with our own eyes. We believe whatever is streamed to us. What's interesting is I knew you were there, so I was literally watching all of the live streams, right? I'm like, all right, I'm going to see what's going on here, you know, just to make sure my friend is safe over there. Nothing crazy happens. But 
there were so many live streams where I was like, this just looks really chill. These people are just walking into the Capitol like no big deal. They're taking selfies with the guards. I saw smiles. I saw glee. I saw happiness. I didn't see anyone breaking anything or making any threats to anyone. And I'm not saying that didn't happen. Because I think that happens no matter what kind of protest you organize. There's always going to be pockets of people that disagree and are going to revert to their primal, natural ways of handling things with their fists or with, you know, words and name calling. And to assume that something like that wouldn't take place where there's that many people gathered, I think just shows an ignorance to understanding humanity, first of all. But secondly, it's that this idea that we just need to believe the words that are being told to us rather than seeing proof of the action. And so we're giving more credence to words and ideas than we are actions. That worries me about where we go towards censorship and this idea that thoughts are dangerous. And I'm wondering if you're seeing any of that take place and if you have any concerns about that. The way that what I see is we've put such an importance on words. We've given words so much weight to the point that now words hurt us. Oh, you called me a name. That's going to, that's going to, oh, it just pierced my heart and now I'm broken forever. And it, we used to have this idea of you can say everything you want to say, talk all your talk, but until you walk your walk, whatever, I want to see you, I want to see you walk your talk. Now it's like, well, they're thinking these ideas, they need to be silenced, they need to be stopped because they could do something, but they're not. And that worries me in that whole dystopian sense that before we know it, our thoughts will be policed. What do you think of all that? Yeah, well, the technology is giving us the opportunity to empower ourselves in a full-spectrum manner that I think is completely new to our experience. Mm -hmm. There's also the the other side of that sword, and uh, it can be used to, to suppress all those elements as well through mechanisms of control. And... So we are in a time of revolution. It's almost like a window in time that way. So I, I think the question is, is going to be whether we allow our future to be handed down to us in a way where we don't have a lot to say about it, or whether we come together and support that authentic spirit within each other that we, we all share and that connects us and promote the gifts that, that are inherent within that with each other. Where do we start that? The only thing that we really have control over is ourselves. If you find yourself in a place of hate, I I would just be real careful if what you give the power to incite hate in you. Edgar Cayce said that uh, you become what you hate. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people hating Donald Trump, spending all their time hating Donald Trump. And yet what I've come to realize is that they don't really hate Donald Trump. They hate a projection of Donald Trump. And that projection is really filthy. I, I can understand why. That hatred that you hold on to is an energy that you have to actively choose to engage. Yeah. And you can let it run on your unconscious autopilot, but it's taking out of you. And what it's doing is it's creating an obstacle for the flow of love to come in. Yeah. And we have to actively choose that hate. We have to actively choose to participate with that energy every day and project it outward. And we don't consider what that kind of projection of that energy does to those around us that we love. Like, we think we can compartmentalize our hate for Donald Trump and politics and whatever we see on the news and that it won't impact how you relate to your children or your coworkers or your spouses. But in fact, it does. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing we're effectively separating ourselves and dividing ourselves from each other because of that hatred. And more so than that becoming this energy that you have to intentionally choose 
it turns into a, an obsession. And I noticed this, especially in social media. So many of my friends have are clinging to their hate in such a way that it's they can't talk about anything else other than how much they hate Trump, how, how Trump has screwed up everything. And you're like, dude, do you have a life? Like, did you do anything today? Or is this all you have put your mentality around? And can we talk about how wonderful the sky looks today, at the very least? Well, and it, it, it becomes a, an addiction. They get, yeah. they get uh, a charge from that burst of anger. Yeah. Right? So you start your morning, you pick up the paper, and you give yourself a charge. Yeah. And you do it all day. And you need to keep taking hits. Yeah. And, and you say, well, it's, this is a righteous hate because I should hate this. But again, we shouldn't shit ourselves. <laughs> truly. Uh, and that's what you end up doing. So you, you become what you hate. And again, uh, that what they hate isn't even Trump. It's that projection. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're becoming it and it's corrosive. Very. What is your intention to help bring about healing? in the community to move us away from this. I know you're very active in a lot of different organizations. And <clears throat> you're always trying to um, participate in communal efforts of unity. So what is what is your 2021 plan for healing and uniting? So the when we talk about particular issues and stuff like that, it, it's really easy to get lost down the, the rabbit hole of rationalization and find all sorts of ways to be at odds about something. What I do find, however, is that it's really easy to share values. One of the ways that uh, we, we see those values expressed is in the institutions that, that, that are already existing in our communities. And maybe it's some of the, the healthiest and, and best representations of the community. So, um, so in, in particular, something I'm, I'm really excited about in Granite Falls is this, this concept that's titled Creating the, the Medicine Wheel Cooperative. And uh, it, it's based around the, the fact that uh, 2022 is the 100th anniversary of the Cooperative Act. And that's significant for the community of Granite Falls because Andrew Volstead, who is the community's most famous citizen, he was on the, the, the cover of Time for his work with the Volstead Act, which um, many people might, might recognize from Prohibition. It's, it's also known as the Prohibition Act, is known in regard to that. And the, but his, his, his bigger contribution uh, is uh, his work with the Cooperative Act. So that's the Capper-Volstead Act. And uh, it, it's the legislation, legislative foundation for all the cooperatives in existence, uh, sometimes called the Magna Carta of the cooperative. And actually within a 30-mile radius of Granite Falls, you have the first dairy co-op, electric co-op, uh, oil co-op, fireman's co-op, dairy co-op uh, in the country. And, uh, and that's really, uh, there's some of the, the Scandinavian heritage in that. And it's, it's one of the best representations of, of democracy I, I feel like we have. One person equals one vote, and everybody is in there bringing a, a piece to the puzzle in the interest of creating something that's better than themselves. So that's, that's a, a wonderful legacy and value system that, that we can all gather around. We also have a, a, a native community in, in, in Granite. Mm -hmm. That vibe of the cooperative exists with the native tribe, but of course, not being Scandinavians and, and whatnot, uh, it doesn't come through in that form. Um, however, symbolically, the, the medicine wheel uh, 
uh, I, I feel like is, is something that uh, in, in terms of a value representation is, is on a, a, a similar type of plane uh, as the cooperative. And so uh, with 2022 being an opportunity to, to kind of consider that cooperative legacy of Granite Falls and, and maybe uh, envision a, a cooperative reality to share together in the future, maybe one way to help those two communities uh, work together beyond political or, or racial divides or whatever is to focus on those symbols as representative of our value systems and to spend some time teaching each other about those symbols and the stories behind them and the significance of them and, and how they're alike and how they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, the medicine wheel has a, a holistic quality to it that, that to me transcends the cooperative. Um, it's almost kind of a spiritual element. I feel like that's something that we, as a white person, I'd like to see finally uh, incorporated into integrating to kind a, of all the layers American, and dimensions of the influences and the traditions that we are kind of surrounded by. Well, into the American story, because yeah. the natives have been suppressed throughout our story, and 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 we need that full full expression, and and they have a, a lot to offer right now. So yeah, so again, uh, focusing on those values, focusing on our, our commonalities, and, and recognizing the gifts that we each have to bring, and making sure that everybody uh, has the opportunity to, to share those gifts. Otherwise, you are going to have chaos. I, I often think that we're always so concerned with the national collective dialogue that we forget about our personal local dialogue, and we forget about how we can just better connect to you know, that, that small circumference that we all kind of situate ourselves in. And we're always more focused on that wider wider circumference and how that impacts us while forgetting that right here while we're ignoring each other, that can actually take a toll mm-hmm. on us. So what, what say you about how we can better collaborate and cooperate with one another locally? What should we be, what should we be asking ourselves to do more of, especially this year, post this whole, you know, one year into COVID, how can we better connect and kind of help evaporate fear and division? What's your recommendation for that? I think these communities are so special and have such an important, special role to play going forward. Um, I would suggest that the communities recognize their value. In a time of, of division and distrust and stagnancy based on that, in these communities, we know each other. We trust each other. Everybody pulls their, their weight here. We're, we've maintained that connection to those legacy value systems in an authentic way. So we're less susceptible to facade. We can live by truth, and we can show people what that looks like. And we can be empowered by it, and we can create together with it. And we can create the and create shalom. So what are your final thoughts here? If you can leave people with a message on something that they can just kind of plant a seed of hope for themselves, what are you asking yourself to be more aware of going forward so that you can kind of contain yourself from falling into all of the junk and the, the, the bristle of all of the crap that is thrown at us? What's something that you would recommend to people? There is all that stuff out there, and a lot of people are are experiencing the weight of that. I think a lot of people have been miserable. I also think in this this time that we're finding something deeper within ourselves, 
and we're finding that we have more choice in that happiness than maybe we've given ourselves credit for. So this is a pivotal time, and you were here for a reason, and a lot of people need your help. You have a gift that is going to be effortless for you to give that will transform the world for somebody else. If you live in truth and love, you'll come to know that. That's good. So choose to live out your truth. Choose your happiness. And realize that truth is in God. Awesome. I love it. Thank you, Scott. Thank you.